Good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to the conclusion of our series on Elijah. We've spent a number of weeks going through scriptures in First and Second Kings, uh, looking verse by verse through all of the incredible things that God was doing in and through Elijah. We were introduced to him, remember, at the brook of Cherith and how God fed him by the ravens. Mighty, powerful miracles. As God declared through Elijah, there would be no rain. There would be the, the drought. And yet God took care of his servant. He then led him to the widow and her son at Zarephath. And God was guiding and directing. They had little to nothing, just enough for one more meal. And God miraculously provided. When that son passed away, he was brought back to life through the power of God. God then used him mightily on Mount Carmel, the incredible fire-calling experience. Remember all the, uh, the false prophets of Baal and Asherah. And God brought fire from heaven to uh, burn up. Not just the sacrifice, but literally the stones and the water consumed by the power of God. Elijah was one who had stood alone, stood before wicked kings and a wicked queen. Towards the end, and, and just a couple of weeks ago, we saw how God was bringing him faithful companionship in that next person that God was using to guide. That would be the prophet Elisha. And during this series, as we've we spent a number of weeks, we have seen Elijah at his peak and best. We've also seen him seemingly at his worst, right? We've seen him on the height of experience as God was following through in mighty ways doing miracles. And we've also seen Elijah beaten and down and discouraged, defeated, walking in despair. Remember, he said, I'm the only one left. So we've seen the highs and we've seen the lows with the prophet Elijah. In a sense, he kind of emerged out of nowhere. God plucked him. God called him. God, God used him to do some mighty things to his people. And we've seen him in a variety of experiences. But as we conclude this series, as we conclude this particular study on Elijah, this might be uh, the one of... Well, it's the one that might top them all. Because as we see the conclusion of Elijah, we will be witnessing Elijah as he dodges and defies death. He leaves earth in a whirlwind. Amazing. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. And this morning we're going to be exploring principles on how to receive God's blessings. Now, how many of you like blessings? How many of you like good stuff, right? We say yes. Just a little bit ago, we were asking you about Thanksgiving and asking you about, you know, the, the, the blessings of your favorite part of Thanksgiving, and, and we would yell them out, and your favorite part of the meals, and we'd yell them out. We like good stuff. We like blessings. I mean, if you had your choice between blessings and curses, we would go with blessings, Right? If you had your choice between the good stuff and the bad stuff, we'll take the good stuff. And so in a little bit, as we take a look at Elijah, as God's going to bring him to heaven, Elisha as the prophet to follow, we're going to see the blessings of God resting upon Elisha. And so the, the general principle, how do we receive these blessings? 
Now understand, this is not three easy steps to getting exactly what you want. That's not how God's blessings work. This isn't three simple steps to make sure that everything is taken care of and your every wish is granted. But these are some general principles as we look at Elijah and Elisha in receiving the blessings of God. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Stop right there. Can you imagine? God was going to bring you to heaven. You were not going to be like everyone else who at some point in time, uh, their life would pass and die. This individual was going to be taken directly to heaven. How? In a whirlwind. Mighty, amazing, powerful. In fact, Elijah... He was only the second individual here in God's word that was taken to heaven without passing through death. Enoch, in Genesis chapter 5, says that he walked with God and then God took him to be with him. So you've got Enoch brought to heaven. You've got Elijah who's about ready to be brought to heaven. How? In a whirlwind. It says, when the Lord was about to take him to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, We're on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho and... He replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. You get the feeling he's not really wanting to hear what's taking place. Either he knows it and senses it too, or he's saying, shh, 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 let's not, let's not talk about that. Verse 6, then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. We're not even to the part of the whirlwind yet, and God's already doing miracles, right? It says that he took his cloak. Remember, this was the cloak that he had placed around Elisha. It was that symbolic garment. It was identifiable as this man of God. He's taking that. He takes it off, rolls it up, whack, hits the water, And it divides into two. Have we seen that before in God's word? We have. We've seen that a couple times, right? God parted the Red Sea for Moses and for the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt. Remember, there was, well, you had the Red Sea and you had the desert and you had the mountains and you had the Egyptians that were after them. And God parted the Red Sea. They crossed on dry ground. The Egyptians followed and they got swallowed back up by the Red Sea. 
And then Joshua and the children of Israel, as they were about to head into the promised land, remember, God brought them across the Jordan River. So God split the Red Sea, God split the Jordan River, and here, as Elijah took and, and, and struck the water, God divided it in two. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? We'll get to this in just a little bit, but imagine someone asking you that question. What can I do for you? And seriously meaning it, right? Not just, hey, how's it going? Anything we can help with? Uh, I was hoping he'd say no so I can keep going. Elijah's saying, listen, what can I do for you? He said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Verse 10, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. It's, it's one of those uh, little details that sometimes we get uh, mixed up and backwards. We'll say, well, Elijah went to heaven in a chariot of fire. It says that the chariots and the horses of fire separated them, Elijah and Elisha. But he was taken to heaven, not in the chariot of fire, not in the horse of fire, but taken in the whirlwind. Hmm. Elisha saw this, verse 12, and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment, tore it in two, picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him, went back, stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. We'll stop there. There's certainly other parts and other components to the rest of the chapter, and you can study that into some detail. But where we're stopping here is we see where the mention of Elijah comes to a close. See, the, the very same God of Elijah was now resting upon Elisha. They were seeing that. Not just that he had the cloak and not just that he was doing some of the same miracles and some of the same things. They could see that that power of God that was resting on him was resting now on Elisha. I want to encourage us this morning. The same power of God as we read in God's Word, some of these men and women of the Old Testament and New Testament... This isn't where we look at this and say, wow, God did something through them, but God could never use me in a mighty way. That same power of God that's resting on men and women in God's word is able to rest upon your heart, upon my life, as we seek after God. So in the balance of our time, let's take a look at a handful of principles on how to receive the blessings of God. And this isn't the three-step easy way to getting everything you've ever dreamed of and more. But if you want God to bless, if you truly desire what he has in store for your life and his blessings, here's three principles that we see from Elijah and Elisha in chapter 2. Number one, 
You want to receive God's blessings? We must follow where God leads. Ooh. That first word, follow, we don't like that word too well. Follow? We don't want to follow. We want to lead. We got to be a leader. We got to lead the way. I don't want to follow after anyone. Right? We like to lead. What's the familiar song, popular song, well-known song, maybe about 10 years ago? Jesus, take the wheel. That means surrender. That means submitting. And we say, no, we, we barely give Jesus the wheel. We don't even let him ride shotgun. Because we let someone else call shotgun, right? If we're being honest, many times in our lives, we don't give him the wheel. We don't give him shotgun. We basically say, I got this, Jesus. Get the back seat and zip it. Now, some of you are saying, well, that seems a little rude and crude, Pastor Mark. It might be, but is it true? Unfortunately, sometimes by our life and our example, we're not really ready to follow what God has and where God leads. We don't even want him to be too close to us in that, in that shotgun seat. We just say, yeah, I'll let you in the car, Jesus, but get to the back, zip it, I'm controlling the stereo. I got the tunes. You, you just, you go back there and be quiet. Because we want to we control things. We want to lead things. And what we see all throughout this entire study in this series, these chapters we've looked at, place after place after place, Elijah went where God directed. Elijah said what God instructed and Elijah did what God wanted him to do. It was complete and total following and obedience to God. Follow where God leads. Three times we see that in this particular text. Verses 2 and 4 and 6. Elijah specifies to Elisha, Stay here because the Lord has directed me. The Lord has sent me to... God's leading. God's directing. Elijah was desiring to be faithful to God. You and I have got to be faithful to follow God. They went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. Historians would say, and we see mention of them here in the scriptures, Schools of prophets were located at Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. Perhaps God was using him and guiding him to maybe speak a word or to be an encouragement to some of those other individuals. Whatever the case, wherever God led him, and this was, this was right about, right before he was about ready to be taken out. To the very end, Elijah sought to follow God. Where are you leading God? So let's take a, a brief look and look at some of those places. You'll see some in-depth teachings and studies in other areas. But they were in Gilgal. And he says, God's led me to, from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. What are some of the things that as we follow where God leads, these are some things God might ask of you or I. Gilgal. It's a place of new beginnings. 
The first place where the Israelites camped after entering the promised land. That new beginning of Gilgal. Gilgal was also a place of separation and cutting away. It was there that these Israelite men submitted to that act of circumcision, the delicate cutting away of a particular part of skin and flesh. It was symbolic, not, not just in the piece of skin, but the, the cutting apart, the separation from the world and the separation unto God. There was purity. There was holiness. As, as we follow where God leads, it involves purity. It involves holiness. It involves following after him, sometimes in the case of new beginnings. So they were in Gilgal. God guides and directs them to Bethel. Bethel literally means house of God. Beth, house, El, God. House of God. A couple different interesting things took place at Bethel. It's where God appeared to Abraham. He built the altar to the Lord. It was devotion unto God, and it was communion and fellowship, spending time with God. But you remember at Bethel, that was also where Jacob encountered God. Remember the, the dream, if you would? Angels ascending and descending on that ladder to or stairway to heaven? It was that, that communication, that time with God. He, he heard God promise to be with him and to take care of him. As we are following where God leads, are we desiring to have time in God's presence? Sometimes it's new beginnings. Sometimes it's, it's that purity. It's that devotion to him. But at Bethel, there's that, that time spent with God. Are, are we willing to invest in his presence and hear from him? Gilgal, Bethel. Thirdly, they go to Jericho. Now, what, do you, what comes to mind when you think about Jericho? Walls. Walls come crumbling down. I mean, there's... There's songs about it from children's Sunday school, if you, if you were in children's Sunday school as a child. Uh, Jericho and the, the story of the walls falling down, one of those incredible flannel graph stories as a child. But it's that mighty story of God bringing them, as he's going to bring them into the promised land, Jericho was a, a city who had walls all the way around it. It was pretty, pretty fortified and strong. What was the battle plan? Was the battle plan to build a battering ram and just charge and bust the walls down? No. It was simply to walk around the city. On the first day, you walk around once, head home. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day, walk around the city once and head home. Seventh day, you walk around the city seven times, and then you shout. And then you let God do his thing. Jericho... Jericho, you got to walk by faith. you got to trust in God. I mean, what kind of faith and trust did it take to walk around a heavily fortified city wall, not say anything, on the seventh day do it seven times, and then just yell, and believe that God's going to take down the walls and the city? That's walking by faith. When we follow where God leads, we might not always have the answers. We've got to walk by faith and then trust in him. We've seen that in Elijah's life. 
That was a, a great illustration for Elisha as he was getting ready to move forward in what God had for him. God's the one that brings the power. It wasn't their mighty miracle of the walk or the shout. It's just simply, we're going to trust in God, and God brings the, the victory when it's all done. God gets the glory. Jericho, it's a reminder of maybe the battles fought, a reminder of the victories achieved and received, but it's God who brought it. So maybe as we are faithful, and maybe as we are following where God leads, maybe it includes walking by faith and trusting in God like the Israelites did at Jericho. So they go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and then to the Jordan. The Jordan River, it's, it's that obstacle, but it's also been a pathway. It's the obstacle that sticks in their way, but it's the pathway that God has brought them through in the past. And in our text, God brought them through. The Israelites had wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Punishment for not trusting in God. That next generation of the Israelites was there and ready to enter. But you've got the Jordan River. It stood in their way. And not just any ordinary river. Remember, it was at flood stage. And the mighty touch, the mighty hand of God, the miracle that God did. God, through Joshua, they instructed those priests. The priests were carrying the ark of God. And they were to walk, and as soon as they stepped in, they had to take the step into the Jordan River. When they stepped in, the waters parted. Kind of continues that, that walking by faith and trusting in God from Jericho. The Jordan stopped flowing. Remember, after God brought them across, Joshua did some pretty incredible things with stones. Built a couple of memorials. Two of them. You remember where they were? One of them was after they had crossed the Jordan River, one of them was right there. They, they made this group of 12 stones, you know, a large stone for each of the 12 tribes. And, and so there was this monument, this memorial, a remembrance of what God had done. Remember where the second one was, though? It was right in the middle of the Jordan River. I mean, before God had closed it all up, there was the memorial planted, boom, right in the middle. And it's that remembrance of all that God had done. When you follow where God is leading, part of it is you're able to look back and remember what God has done and where he has already brought you through. You can see how God has helped. You can see how God has provided. You can see how God has guided and directed and steered your path. And so perhaps for Elijah, and he's leading Elisha through, Maybe a part of that, when, when following where God leads, is looking back and remembering some of these places, some of these things. Remember God's power, even in the midst of the impossible. We follow where God leads. God might have some of those lessons of Gilgal or Bethel or Jericho or Jordan or other things. But for Elijah and for Elisha, they were going to follow where God leads. Here's a second principle for us this morning. 
If we want to receive the, the blessings, all that God has in store for us, I believe we must commit to be faithful. Not just follow God, but be faithful to God. Again, we see verse 2 and 4 and 6, three times Elijah says to Elisha, stay. You stay here, but God's leading me on. I've got to follow where God leads. And every time, Elisha doesn't just say, well, okay. What does he say? As sure as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be at your side. I am with you. Elijah said that at Gilgal on his way to Bethel, Bethel on his way to Jericho, and Jericho on his way to the Jordan. Now, Elijah, he, he's almost ready. God's about to bring him to heaven in a whirlwind. As he is facing the, the end of this time on earth, do you think he was really and literally saying, I just gotta, I gotta shake this Elisha guy off my tail. He's just driving me crazy. I gotta get rid of him. Is that literally what he was saying? You stay here. I gotta, I gotta go and I gotta follow where God leads, but you stay. Certainly, there's different ways to handle those situations, but it sure wouldn't seem like this individual that he had spent time with, but by now it's been about seven to eight years that Elisha had served underneath him. Do you think all of a sudden Elijah is just going to say, okay, you're done, you stay here, and I'm going to go? More than likely, there's another possibility at work. God through Elijah is giving one final test and exam. Elisha, are you ready to live faithful? You've been faithful up to this point. Remember when we saw Elisha? Elijah saw Elisha, placed his mantle around him. Elisha was faithful at the beginning, right? He went and said goodbye to his parents, and then he did what? When Elijah found him, he was plowing. He went, he burned the plows, killed the cows, had a great feast, a great party. But in other words, there was nothing to go back to. He says, I'm, I'm not going back. There's not a plan B. I'm going to follow, and I'm going to be along with you. So there was already, there was an immediate faithfulness. And there was continued faithfulness now, seven to eight years of being with Elijah. But maybe here at the end, one final opportunity, one final thought, one final test, God through Elijah to Elisha, will he stay faithful to the very, very end, or is this too much? Is this too hard? Sometimes I think God's desiring to bless. God's desiring to abundantly work in our hearts and in our lives and our situations. And before we get to that part, before we get to that breakthrough, we say, I can't take it anymore, and we give up. The encouragement, as we see in Elijah and in Elisha, 
is commit to be faithful. Commit to the long haul. Commit to all that God has for us. As we've seen in Elijah, it hasn't always been easy, but he has been faithful to God. And no doubt with Elisha, years of being at his side, he's seen some of the things that God's done in and through. He's seen some of what that entails. One final opportunity of him saying, I am committing to be faithful. Let us have that same heart, that same attitude faithfulness, persistence, difficulties do come. Hardships and challenges in our lives do come. Will we be faithful to God for the long haul? I believe as we do that, God will bless. What kinds of blessings? This isn't about uh, financial in your bank account blessings, although sometimes it can be. But if we... We desire what God has, whatever those blessings are. I believe that that means that we are going to follow where he leads, commit to be faithful. And finally this morning, let us focus on the spiritual. Focus on the spiritual. Verse 9, here's that, that famous question. They cross the Jordan and Elijah says to Elisha, tell me. What can I do for you before I am taken from you? What can I do? Someone asked you that. What can I do for you? I mean, literally, ask me and and I'll grant and I'll do my very best. We're going to fulfill whatever it is that you wish, whatever you ask. Sometimes that that brings to mind the the genie and the lamp and the, the three wishes. This is a sincere man of God saying, what can I do for you? And the one who's asking the question, this is a man of God that we have seen God do some incredible things through. No doubt in their ministry together, he shared the stories of how God faithfully fed him by ravens. How God faithfully provided the meals for he and the widow and the son. Raising the sun back to life. Fire on Mount Carmel. Then rain after the drought. Outrunning the chariot. Fire from heaven coming upon the captains in the 50s who were defying God. Situation after situation after situation. This is the man who's saying, what can I do for you? It's what we might refer to as a blank check. Right? It's like someone saying, hey, here is a check. I want to bless you. You just fill in the amount. I've already signed it. Here you go. And the question is, well, man, what would I write for that? How much would I write? And it kind of comes to that, well, how bold am I ready to be? And we can come boldly to God Boldly requesting and and boldly desiring what what he has for us. But he made an an interesting request. He said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And even Elijah, who's seen and experienced a lot, it's almost as if he was taken aback a little bit. Now, many times when this is described or illustrated, the emphasis is on the double. 
I want the double portion, meaning I, I want double what you got for me, God. You know, you did some great things for him, but I want to be even bigger and better than him. Let's understand, this is not about Elisha being kind of an ego man. Man, you were good, but I want to be twice as good as you. It's not quite that. Again, a little, little different in our culture and in our times. We talk about double portion, and we just think twice. Man, I, I want double what you get. That, that's a brother, sister, brother, brother, you know, type of thing, right? I want to eat it. I'm going to have twice as many cookies as you. That, that would be us kind of in the flesh. Biblical days, you take a look at the inheritance that's passed down. And Deuteronomy 21 would talk a little bit about some of the inheritance thoughts. But it's the firstborn who basically receives that double portion. So in a sense, it's as if he is asking for that blessing, that honor, that privilege of being considered as the firstborn. Not that he's saying, ah, I want to just do twice as many things as you. But it is interesting. Take a look and see the mighty hands and the miracles that Elijah did and then recount the miracles that Elisha has done. And it basically is about double. But he's not asking from an ego standpoint. He's, he's asking more about this, this greater share, more about this, this mindset of, the firstborn son. You've got all these other prophets around, but he's saying, I want to be considered kind of like that. It's a pretty bold ask. The encouragement, the challenge for you and I is we can come boldly to God. We can come boldly, but how do we do that? We focus on the spiritual. Elisha didn't say, well, you know, remember all the stuff I gave up? All my cows and all my, all my plowing equipment. Yeah, I, I want all of that plus interest. His focus wasn't on the material. His focus wasn't on the stuff of life. His focus was on the spiritual. God, what can you do in and through me? This anointing, this, this hand upon my life. Many times, as we become bold in our and our expression towards the Lord, sometimes that boldness is about everything but the spiritual. We'll seek everything else and hope that there's some leftovers in the spiritual that'll trickle into our life. God, I pray for finances, and God, I pray for this and this and this and this. Oh yeah, by the way, would you bless spiritually? Jesus had a little something to say about that, didn't he? Matthew 6, he said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, I fear that many times we get this backwards. We seek the material. We seek the physical. We seek all of these other things and hope that there's some spiritual thrown in at the end. Many times what happens is by seeking the material, seeking the physical, seeking all these other things, we lose out on everything. Jesus said, we've got to flip our mindset. Seek the spiritual. Seek first God. 
Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Seek first what he desires. And as we seek that, as we focus on the spiritual, he said, all these other things will be given as well. So many times, we miss out on everything because of our focus. We're not focused on God. We're not focused on what he has in store for us. We can boldly come to the Lord, but we can boldly seek the spiritual. Elijah's taken to heaven in the whirlwind. Elisha is left. He, he picks up that mantle. He strikes the water, and the same miracle takes place. And before you finish out this particular chapter, God's already beginning to do mighty miracles through Elisha. God is blessing. God is bestowing his blessings upon Elisha. Why did that take place in Elijah? Why did that take place in Elijah? Elisha? And how can that take place that we receive the blessings of God? I believe we must follow where God leads. Commit to be faithful and focus on the spiritual. <laughs>